Welcome to the Modern Yogi Podcast, an exploration of ancient wisdom. Hello, hello, everyone. We are back, virtual family. We are back, and it is episode number 12. And if you are enjoying listening to our podcast and you want to see more of our faces and (laughs) And the behind the scenes, and you just miss us, follow us on Instagram at Modern Yogi Podcast. Oh, I think I added a the. There's no the, right? There's no No the. the. Okay, okay. There's no the. (laughs) Yeah, and if you have any questions, you can DM us. Uh, If we get a bunch of questions, we might do an episode where we're just answering all the questions. Yeah, that would be epic. That means we need more people to listen to our podcast. <laughs> so, you know, I share this with anyone you think yes. is kind of like a little lost or sad or confused in life or even happy. Just share it with just them. Share with just them. share with them. Please share the link to our podcast. Yeah, that is some great. Shameless plugging. All right. So we are on chapter two, text number 44. But I'd love if you guys could take us through a quick recap. Alrighty, so in the previous episode, we saw a huge shift where Krishna has been presenting all of these arguments why Arjuna should fight and not run to the forest, right? He's like, a lot about the soul, a lot about the soul, the soul's constitution, the soul, the soul, the soul. We ended it all with the soul talk. Yes, very analytical study of oh, like, yeah, what we're supposed depth. to do and the reasons why. And because in the book, it says this and all of that. And then we learn a lot about the soul. And then now Krishna's like, do this for me. Yes. And so- then we learn about Bhakti Yogi. Yes. Bhakti Yogi. Oh, Bhakti. <laughs> Bhakti we are the modern yogi and we're talking about Bhakti Yoga. Love it. So th- that shift comes up right after he's presenting so many angles, so many arguments. He just says, it is my will. And when you can get in line with the ultimate will of our source of Krishna, then life will flow. Yeah, it's, it's saying basically that if you um, follow in this bhakti practice, yes. then you don't have to really worry about whether your behaviors are good or bad or whether there will be, there's nothing to fear. Yeah, I because, love that. It makes you feel secure. <sighs> right, because basically they're saying if you offer up, or Krishna is saying, if you offer up pure devotional service or love, he's just asking for love. If you give me a little love, I will give you everything. I will give you more than you could even want. I'll give you the knowledge, the qualities, like Priya saying, you don't have to worry if it's good or bad. He's going to, he's going to give it all to you and let you know if you're doing the right thing or not. And then finally, he's basically saying, and now I know a lot of people, people who don't really have the spiritual knowledge, my focus on the demigods, right? Right, and, and, and the, the different flowery parts of the Vedas. Wait, what are the demigods again? Who are, give me some like examples. Ganesh, Ganesh. obstacles, Indra, the god of weather, right? Yes, okay, uh, Lakshmi, the god of, goddess of wealth. Okay, so those are the demigods, okay. right? And so he's saying, you know, those that's like a lesser knowledge. And we had an example about the CEO and the managers. We still have right. to appreciate the managers, which are the demigods. But at the end of the day, we understand that Krishna is the CEO, and we should seek a relationship with him because he has. All of the knowledge, all the information, and the path of being our guide, right? Right. We basically want to talk to the big guy upstairs directly. Yeah. It's the ultimate loophole, right? The you just go straight to, to the loophole. I love the loophole. So you go straight to the 75th floor, talk to Krishna, who's the CEO. Right. Love because that. everyone else might be like, uh, I, I think it's this way, but maybe talk to the next guy. Talk to the next guy. So you're just going to get keep getting referred. And they yep. all refer to the ultimate and CEO. And so now we are on text 44. But before that, can we have the invocation, ladies? Yes. Om Jnana Timirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Translation, I was born in the darkest ignorance, and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances onto him. All right, chapter two, text number 44. 44. All right, take it away. 
<laughs> yes. In the minds of those who are too attached to sense enjoyment and material opulence, and who are bewildered by such things, the resolute determination for devotional service to the Supreme Lord does not take place. Mm, so when we're still like holding on to everything in this world, but I want this, I want that, I want wealth and fame, the Lord is saying, you gotta, you gotta let go a little bit, uh, loosen your grip on all those things. We're holding so tight. Lose the grip on the golden handcuffs yeah. that are not allowing you to see that this is not it. This, this is, is not, not it. It's it. Not. So if you're chasing the house, the giant mansion with the white picket fence and the Ferraris and the Bugattis and all that stuff, you are not going to be ready for devotional service to Krishna. And you notice that when you loosen your grip a little, so much freedom comes in. You're, you're free. You don't have to hold so tight. Like we're the doers. Me, me, me. And I have to hold on to all this. No, it's like a breath of fresh air coming into your life. Yep. Text 45. Text 45. Oh, I do want to say one oh, thing yes, from the crazy. purport. There's a beautiful thing called samadhi means fixed mind. So if we can just practice this love with knowledge, it gives you a steady mind because if your mind's not steady, it'll blow like the wind and you're going to be dissatisfied anyway. Oh, I need to get me some samadhi. <laughs> Where do I get some samadhi, girl? Where'd I purchase some? Three, three shots of samadhi. <laughs> please, please, thank you. That'd be great. Right here. All right. Text number 45. Shama, the, take it away. The Vedas deal mainly with the subject of the three modes of material nature. Oh, Arjuna, become transcendental to these three modes. Be free from all dualities and from all anxieties for gain and safety and be established in the self. So I think we should recap quickly. We talked about the three modes, but to remind us, they are the mode of goodness, right? So yes. when you, what would be the mode of goodness? Like, I, I, I like to think of it as like like locations, right? So you like given the so library. Like, yeah, like the mode of goodness is what is a place of goodness that fosters goodness? Like library, right? It's known as a place of knowledge and a place of quiet. And it'll be a, a field with yes. mountains and the sun. Yes. And you can even think about it as like food. Actually, it's everything. It's music, it's food, any, any kind People. of thing can yes. be mm -hmm. in one of these Activities, modes, right? So yes. like when it comes to food, you can think of like healthy food that is yes. good for you, that is warm, that is tasty. Fruits, vegetables. Right. Someone yes. in your life who gives you a sense of peace and, and just enlightenment. There are the mode, mode of goodness. goodness. Yep. Then we have the mode of passion, fiery. I always think of like stock exchange, Ooh, like people go, go, running. Go. Be like, I need to buy this. I need to buy this stock. Spicy food. Spicy right. food. Heat. Or, or like, let's say, I, I don't even know. Uh, what's Taco Bell breakfast burrito. Really, <laughs> really spicy. And there then there's go. the most common form of passion we all know. Oh, yes. Also. <laughs> oh, you guys, you listeners can fill that in at home. Yeah, yeah. So there, whatever you want. Teach there you go. I was thinking like, oh, what kind of music is in Mr. Tomlin's like, bounce. Like, okay, well, you know, anything kidding. that makes you run it around and it's, you're, you're being frantic, right? Whether like, it's that yes. spicy burrito. A club at night is very. Mode oh, of yes, passion, right? Yes. Everyone like partying, yes. a little like clouded by this passion, Techno this fire. Music. Yeah. Yes. And it would also be categorized maybe as the mode of ignorance, right? Because people are drinking and yeah. they're. What is the mode of ignorance? Okay, okay. Then the third mode is the mode of ignorance. Now, we've already talked about ignorance is kind of like Priya had said, it's not in a negative judgment. Well, it's negative, but it's not a judgmental way. Ignorance is kind of like you don't have this higher knowledge. You're covered over. You're ignorant. So you said drinking, right? Yeah, but I mean, we got to say like the mode of ignorance is not the same as like having ignorance from the knowledge that You're we're right. reading here. The mm. mode of ignorance is more like behaviors, foods, things that are under this condition. So like what would be mode of ignorance food? Food that is like leftover for like 
five days and it's basically (laughs) terrible for you at this point it's just not that great right or um what would be what would be a behavior that's mode of ignorance maybe like sleeping all day yeah Yeah, sleeping all day is mode of ignorance ignorance. doing something what is the location mode of ignorance a dungeon with just dirt and grime, or like, or like, four, like four a.m. at a bar where everyone's drunk. Oh, right, yeah. that's beautiful. So, with the club analogy, flash forward a few hours, everyone's just wasted, lying there. That's ignorance. mode of ignorance. Yeah. Bam, 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 boom. We got okay. all three. Got it. <laughs> so those are the three modes. And there's going to be an entire chapter later on in the Bhagavad Gita where we dissect right, all of these Right, because it's not a modes. clear distinction. It's a com- Everything in this world is a combination. More yes. of one, less of the other two. Even we ourselves are made of yeah. these three modes in different percentages, right? right? So that's why you see some people that are so peaceful in general. They give this like energy that they're just not really bothered by anything. And then there's people that are like, I have to have three jobs, not because I need to, but because I want to achieve right. so many things. And they're just like all over the place. And then there's people that are like, like I want nothing in life. I'm, I'm lazy. not interested in anything other than sitting. It's on like my that couch. Bruno Mars lazy song. Where it's <laughs> yes. like, I don't exactly feel like, like doing anything. And it's kind of like <laughs> in this world, it's so hard to find something in its true primary color. Normally, you find secondary colors a combination. So similarly, it's very hard to find something that's just one mode, just pure mode of goodness. Yeah. Wait, can I, I have a question. Yeah. So like, can you have different modes like throughout a day? Because yes. all oh, times yeah. of days yes. have different modes, right? Like morning would be mode of goodness. I'm like super productive. Yes. Yeah. It's like the best time to just focus on yourself, spiritual life, or even just meditation, whatever it is that then throughout And then the, I get a chalupa from Taco Bell and I'm not feeling like <laughs> doing anything. Well, then the, the worst day would be passion. 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 Because you're okay, like, you're yeah. active. You have to get stuff done. You have chores. You have responsibilities. You have your work, whatever ah, it is that. And that's yes. mode of passion fueling you. And now the reality is we're going to experience these things. And it's not like you can avoid being in the mode of passion and do everything in the mode of goodness. We're trying our best. But the reality is that as people who live in this material world, we still have to have the ability to have a job and so on and so forth. I can share personally, I'm trying to cultivate even through the workday when it's a mode of passion, I'm trying to be a little more mode of goodness and not rush everywhere. If I'm rushing late, that's passion. So I'm trying to set a little more mindful time so I can go with a little more ease and show up to work, not running, but sit there and be a little mode of goodness. Right. And then like by the end of the day, you can say that you're kind of getting into the mode of ignorance because what happens is a lot of people go to work and then they go home and they're like, I'm done. Let me crack open my beer, watch some TV and just Netflix and and do nothing else than that. And so like the good practice would be to bring goodness into any kind of aspect of your day would be the best thing. So I've heard some people read a little bit before going to bed or, you know, whatever it is, bring a little bit of mode of goodness because ultimately you'll have mode of ignorance. You'll have mode of passion. All these things will happen. Naturally. And with that, no. it makes so much sense how they promote in this knowledge. They say, you know, try to wake up early and live a life of goodness and try to go to bed early. Right. Uh, because the the more you stay awake throughout the night, you start feeling the mode of ignorance overcome you, the mode of passion and ignorance. Yeah. You feel it. That's when you open the fridge and you start eating late night snacks. You start just watching TV. You lay around. The I, activities you do at that hour are very much ignorance. Definitely. Yes. I always wonder about like CEOs and all of this, especially in this time and age, because I get a lot of... Uh, news or whatever where it's like CEOs are waking up early and like they're starting the day at this time. Starting their day at 3.30. I know. And it's like, are they in the mode of goodness or Mm. are they just in so such a mode of passion that they have to have more time to work? I wonder how they utilize that time and like and where they got this idea to wake up early, right? Do we instinctively know that actually mornings are peaceful and mode of goodness? Like, 
it's just fascinating I, to me. I think I've seen a couple of schedules and like some of them, like some of them do meditate and mm. read something like from the Bible or the Gita or something like that. And so like, I, I, I would think that there's nothing else really, I mean, to do with, you can't interact with anybody. Everybody's sleeping, <laughs> That's right? true. So maybe so, they're just really being conscious of how to make sure to get their mode of goodness before they really yes. go into passion. Oh yeah. Which is awesome. Good for them. Yep. All right. Anything else for this? Just one interesting tidbit in the purport. It says we've been talking a lot about the Vedas, the Vedas, all this knowledge. And at the bottom, if you're curious, the Bhagavad Gita is part of the fifth Veda which is the Mahabharat. So mm. as Priya had said, the Vedas deal with all aspects of life. If you want this, do this, this, do that. But then there there's books. Right. Not a lot of books. Yeah. Right. Then there's like the core wisdom of the Vedas, which deal with spirituality. Anyway. Yeah. There's also another paragraph here, and I think it brings, um, let me just read it and then we'll kind yeah. of dissect yeah. it. As long as the material body exists, there are actions and reactions in the material modes. One has to learn tolerance in the face of duality, such as happiness and distress and cold and warmth. And by tolerating these things, we become free from anxieties regarding gain and loss. I love that because also one might think, and maybe you guys can speak to this, why would we become equipoised or tolerant in the face of happiness? Shouldn't I become so elated and I'm so happy? But because they're temporary, if we just get so excited with the fleeting happiness and so down with the the distress, we're just going to be riding that roller coaster. Yeah. Because it is dualities, right? There is it's this two sides of different coins, right? And so right. It, it, Krishna says, be free from all dualities, from all anxieties for gain and safety. As we had said, good, bad, who's to say? Who's to say? Mm. All right. Text, text 46. Text 46. All righty. The all purposes served by a small well can at once be served by a great reservoir of water. Similarly, all the purposes of the Vedas can be served to one who knows the purposes behind them. Can so you what read does that, that again? mean? Yes. Can you read it again for me? Okay. All purposes served by a small well can at once be served by a great reservoir of water. Right? Mm. Similarly, all the purposes of the Vedas can be served to one who knows the purpose behind them. Ah, right. So I think they're saying like... Wait, like is, it, is the great reservoir of water the Gita and the small well I was the about to say, I think so, Shama. I was about to say that. I think, yeah. The, what the, does that mean? The, okay. We need to know what's the essence of the Vedas, which as they've been describing, the essence, essence of the Vedas is not how to gain more wealth in this world. Or that no. material thing. The it's, purpose What is, is the purpose? Studying the Vedas is to know Lord Krishna. Self-realization right. means understanding Krishna and one's eternal relationship with him. So that's like the essence of this. Here. So question, does that, is there a hierarchy then? Does that mean the Gita surpasses the Vedas? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think if you think the purpose of the Vedas is to accumulate as much wealth as you can in this life, you're very, <laughs> very confused. So that's why they're saying rather than like get sidetracked with the huge, vast knowledge in the Vedas, if you know the purpose... All purposes will be fulfilled. Love that. Mm. Right, because they say Vedic literature, or basically the literature of the Vedas, are meant to encourage gradual development of self-realization. And self-realization basically means understanding Krishna and your eternal relationship with 
Him, capital H, because we're parts and parcels of Krishna, as we had said, the one drop of the ocean. Yeah, I think what, what you're both are saying is like the Vedas has a lot of information, but ultimately the thing that we want to know is how to have that relationship with Krishna. And like, that's the gem. That's right? the most important thing. So it right. says, so one must be intelligent enough to understand the purpose of the Vedas without being attached to the rituals only. Gotcha. And must not desire to be elevated to the heavenly kingdoms for a better quality of sense gratification. Because the Veda offers, uh, the Veda, the Vedas <laughs> offer, uh, let's say, like for you to- Cheat codes. Yeah, cheat codes. Cheat codes for rewards. For rewards that are not the ultimate reward. Yes. So they're like, oh, listen, if you do all this, you can go to a heavenly planet where you can just like party all day. Yeah. Right? So somebody might be like, oh my God, I want that. I want that cheat code. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really not the point not here, Shama. right? <laughs> that's not the point, right? Because you will go to that heavenly planet and then party for, let's say, 50 years or whatever, however long the time is, and then you'll be done. And then you'll be back here on earth trying to figure out again what the real purpose is, right? right. So they're saying you have to be smart enough to understand it's not about the rituals. It's not about getting these little... Uh, what did you call them? Cheat codes. Cheat codes. Cheat codes. It's not about that, right? And so we want more than that. Love right. That. There's this one line that says, revival, and I think that word's important, revival of Krishna consciousness by the individual living entity is the highest perfectional state of Vedic Ooh, knowledge. Now, that's a great line. I love that word revival because it implies that this is an eternal relationship that we've forgotten about. And yes. if you guys don't mind, I want to share one little personal part about yeah, this for me. My very, very, very first heartbreak ever in my whole life, I remember afterwards I was in the kitchen. This was, yeah, over a decade ago. I, or no. How old am I? I don't know. Whatever. Whenever this was. This was <laughs> you a while ago. You don't have to disclose your age. Yeah, like, yeah. okay. <laughs> Wherever youthful. Wherever youthful. Wherever youthful. So I was in the kitchen and I was crying and I remember my dad was there and he looks at me with a lot of compassion and he's like, you know, this feeling you're feeling right now, Shamali, Think about it in the context of our relationship that's eternal with Krishna, that's in your heart. This level of intensity you're feeling right now, technically, if you get to that level of devotion or love, this is how we should be crying for wanting to revive that eternal relationship with God. It's like, please, I've forgotten you. Let me let me feel it to the most depth I can possibly feel it. Now, that's a very high what level. What was your reaction to him saying that? Because that's a beautiful, really high type of thinking. What was your oh, reaction after your breakup? Me. I, I mean, because I was in that moment, I literally was crying, sitting on the countertop, and I was totally bewildered. We all get bewildered at different moments of life. And I was like... Yeah, I was heartbroken. And this, we can all imagine you're heartbroken for the first time in your entire life. And yeah. the first heartbreak is always the worst. I yeah. was 21. Mm. Yeah. Oof. All of these feelings. And I just remember when he said that, it was like a moment of clarity. I was still crying with tears in my eyes, but I mean, that stuck all these years. And I was thinking, so yeah, think to the most intense moment you felt with a lover or an ex or whatever, because those are intense moments of life of deep pain or love or elation or separation. Now, that's what we're trying to cultivate with our eternal relationship with our Oof, most intimate profound. friend. Mm, so yeah, beautiful. my reaction, I don't know, it stuck. I kept crying, but I just like, whoa. Yeah. That's wild. I mean, definitely. Uh, for for this text, I'm seeing that they're they're just saying like, listen, this is this is the connection you want to build, right? Like that, how right. you felt, Shamali. That's what we want to build with Krishna. And for the first time ever, Prabhupada brings up Lord Chaitanya. Mm. Who and is Lord Chaitanya? <laughs> yes. I'm just going to read the sentence and then we can dissect it. Yeah. He says the best purpose of Vedic culture. So Vedic coming from the word Vedas, right? Yes. 
uh, is served, however, by chanting the holy name of the Lord. This is the first time they're talking about chanting, right? Yes, Okay, it is. sorry, continue. As recommended by Lord Chaitanya. So it's the first time you've seen, like, hey, if you chant, you're actually already in the path. Can we say what chanting what is, is before chanting? saying Lord Chaitanya? Because oh. <laughs> I always give the metaphor of like, okay, for anyone that was is more familiar with Christianity, it's kind of like when you chant the rosary, you're just chanting oh, the different names of reciting. God. you're so, reciting. Okay, so right. So for okay, us, it's it. prayers in different names. I mean, if you if you go to a church, I mean, they have like hymns, right? right? So like chanting can be either like a personal practice that you do on your own on like a rosary-like kind of Type item. Of beads, yeah. Right, beads that you can kind of meditate on a particular mantra, or it can be with a bunch of different people, kind of like hymns are done in the church right. where we all sing a particular mantra again together. Right. And you're basically and so, glorifying God's name. And since Krishna, Sanskrit for God, then we say Hare Krishna and we chant different yes. names of God. So he's saying like, that's, that's, this is the first time we're saying like one action item. Like, hey, listen, chant Krishna's name. So one action item to do what? To achieve what? To start working in the process of getting to know Krishna. Ah, okay, right. got it. To because building like, that relationship. Yeah, to build that and relationship. And they basically say that if you chant these names, Krishna's names, again and again and again, he will begin lighting that fire within and giving you knowledge, the most intimate knowledge about himself. So it's not like if we say the word Coca-Cola, 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 that'll give us any intimate knowledge. You're going to just go in circles You're not going to be able to taste Coca-Cola. No, 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 no. No manifestation in your heart. But, but <laughs> this is different. This is a reciprocal relationship. Yeah. And it also brings up the idea that the Vedas are complicated and like the path for uh, like fully, fully knowing someone is a long, difficult path. And so like the chanting of the name is like a simplified way of getting closer to Krishna. Right. And right? one more thing about the chanting. I kind of remember talking with a really good friend of mine who she always has been a seeker. But what's that mean? God and a relationship with God. She just would keep asking, what does that mean? Which I love because we don't often sit with these very basic concepts. Yeah. And kind of like okay, let's bring it to a platform of a relationship you have in this world, boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever. The more time you dedicate with that person, the more their presence grows in your mind and in your heart. So similarly, the more we go chanting these names of Krishna, the more we'll start feeling something growing Some within. Mm. It's so special because it's like, wow, this is like something new in my heart that's just mine to develop and cultivate. And what's great is like, don't knock it till you try it. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, give, Do it a case study. <laughs> give it a whirl. There we go. Text 47. You have a right to perform your prescribed duty, but you are not entitled to the fruits of action. Never consider yourself the cost of the results of your activities and never be attached to not doing your duty. Okay, so bum, bum, our bum. job is to do our duty, right? Whether we're a teacher, whether we're a comedian, whether we're a flight attendant, whatever. Our job is to do our duty. But you are, I love this word, you are not entitled to the fruits of action. You are not entitled to the rewards. Can I ask a question? Is yes. it really, I know it is, but also I'm, I'm trying to understand, is it really our duty to be a teacher? Because if I think about this sentence in that context, let's say for Shamali, who's a teacher right now, um, the fruits of the actions would be what? Money? Yes. Or, Money's uh, status. Or would it be like the children learning Spanish? Like, mm. what is it that she should not be attached to? Like, in a practical sense of what we're saying here. You know, I think it's, 
I had a conversation on the phone with my dad as I was driving over here today. And I was saying, you know, I'm going kind of now in the summer to go chasing this feeling of devotion with this Swami, this person who I would like as my spiritual guide, my master, who's inspired me. And I was saying, oh, do I have to come back then and then teach Spanish? And I guess I have to do my duty. I don't know. And my dad said, no, this is not just your duty, but this is part of your mission. Because if it's come across your path now, this is your next building block to being able to reach many people in whatever you want to do. So it's that combination of trying to do your duty in a way that you feel you're giving back something. So for me, maybe Spanish is the medium that I feel I can try to connect with these children. I work at... (laughs) Sorry, sorry, I just sneezed into the microphone. I apologize. (laughs) Continue, sorry. um, What's it called? Yeah, so I feel like, okay, maybe for me, it's it's, it's a medium that I can use to connect to the children. No, sure, sure. But I'm saying like, what are the fruits of your action? Like, I understand Mm, teaching mm, might be your your prescribed duty, but I'm saying like, like in a practical sense for someone who's actually listening to this and they're saying like, okay, my job is my duty. I just want to break it down. Like, what is it that they're not supposed to be attached to? Okay, I so think is it the is it the promotion? Is exactly. it the money? Like what That's is the what part? I think it is. So like, let's say for a teacher, right? Like simplified. Yes, for like an executive, it would be like you do your job really hard and you don't expect to be promoted. But when you do, you are equipoised and you're like, oh, grateful for this opportunity, and then you keep doing your job, right? right? It's not like I'm going to be totally deviated if it goes good or bad. So right. like, so the bad side would be like, oh. So I it's have not to- really about money. It, it's, it, the, the it can is, be, but it's not really. Yeah, I guess it depends on the intention. Yeah, I mean, if we want that money to buy a Ferrari, then you are attached to a certain to getting result. that money. Okay, yes. so basically, it's just whatever you like the intention behind doing the job. Right. So they're saying, yeah, do your duty, whether without attachment or aversion to the good or the bad results. So whatever results come about from this, I'm going to keep trying to do my duty, keep going at it. Yeah, I love the word. The, the use of the word entitled here in this verse, because we always think, okay, if we work hard, we're going to get this. And that's, you know, most of the times it, it happens um, if we do work really hard. It's like hard, hard work brings everything, all the success. But this notion of entitlement, right? It's not about enjoying the results. It's not about expecting the results. It's not about, okay, if I do this, I have to get this. I'm entitled Mm. to this. Because once you have a sense of entitlement and you don't get it, your world comes crashing down. Right. really well said. Exactly what Shama's saying here in the purport. Everyone has the right to their duty. So you might feel like it's me doing them, but Act without attachment to the results. And then it continues to say such disinterested obligatory duties doubtlessly lead one to the path of liberation. So it doesn't mean I'm disinterested in teaching the children. I love teaching the children and I love connecting with them. I'm disinterested in whatever outcome continues from there. I'm just going to go give them my whole heart, connect with them. And from there... Good, bad, who's to say? That's hard. That's so hard to do though, right? Because yeah. for instance, like an example from work, right? There was a spot up for promotion. It was between me and somebody else. And we both worked our butts off in different clients to get that promotion. Mm. And at a certain point, I felt like I was entitled to it, mm. right? And then it, the promotion actually went to somebody else and I was crushed, right? Mm. I think the word entitled really is the key to the yes. answer that I was asking. And even right. when we were just talking, like just the idea that you, I deserve this thing and I deserve to enjoy this thing, right? So that's, I really like that you brought the word entitled as like the forefront of it. And it's kind of like I had given the example in ice skating, applying this philosophy to ice skating, I'm going to 
do my duty in the sense that I'm going to prepare all year as much as I can for the competition, but being detached from the results. So if I win or I lose, that's part of Krishna's plan. The thing is we don't have control over the results, right? Right. And with the moment that we understand that we have very little control in our lives over results and rewards, that's where we understand what detachment is. You know, can we switch it over quickly to Lord Sir Abhijit, who I know this is his favorite <laughs> Gita <laughs> verse. Could he just give us a quick commentary on why is this your favorite verse? Well, I think this is my favorite because it feels like the most practical advice. Mm. One yes. of, at least among many of the verses that can be more esoteric, this is very practical. Right. Um, And how do you apply it to your own life? Because I know you're like climbing the ladder of work. It's going very well for you. What do you do about it with this verse in a practical way? I have to uh, consider that um, although I may feel entitled to the results of my actions because I did all the hard work. Yes, you worked hard. And I studied and I built up a reputation over years and years and whatever I did to earn it, where did I get the intelligence to do that? Where did I get the health to be able to execute what I want? Where did I get the uh, support system? Even just being able to live where I do. I don't control the weather. I have sunny days so that I can do my work nicely. What if it was snowing all the time? I couldn't. There's just so many factors out of my control to where I cannot take credit. It, it, I mm, like to say I love that. There, um, there's a famous astronomer, Carl, Carl Sagan, yeah. who once, I think his quote was, if you want to create the, um, if you want to uh, bake an apple pie, you must first create the universe. <laughs> Ooh, right. So it's in a way because saying. I could say, I made the pie. Well, did you make the earth that grew the apple? Or oh, did yeah. you make the earth that, did you rain upon the earth to make it grow? All, uh, did you create the sun? You know what I'm saying? So it's ultimately in, in, like yeah. having a deep sense of gratitude, right? Not taking like, the, yes. oh, I have done this. It's a sense of gratitude for God's creations and everything that he's done to provide us for this position. Yeah. Yes. That's a beautiful angle to this verse that we hadn't brought up. See, there's so much to extract from each text because, right, I think a child might very selfishly selfishly say, it was me. It was all me. I did that. But then if you get a little more wise, you might feel like, oh, right. As Abhijit's saying, that wasn't just me. There's so much before that that went into that simple action. So the more, as Priya says, we can cultivate that notion of gratitude. And it's very humbling because you realize, whoa, we're just all sitting on our high thrones of, I'm the best. It's me. It's all me. (laughs) But it's really not that way. Yeah. Um, it says here also, one who is attached. Actually, before I move on, I just want to say thank you so much, producer. Thank for you, your producer. Favorite verse. That was wonderful. Yeah. Um, one who is attached to the results of his work is also caught the cause of action. Thus, he is the enjoyer or sufferer of the results of such actions. And I think that's just like, again, talking about the entitlement and uh, like you create this expectation and then you suffer for it because you created this action of like, I deserve this and therefore I'm getting this reaction. Right. And um, I just thought that was No, I love that. I had also highlighted that. I'm glad you brought it up because I forgot to bring it up. We're trying to bring up so many points. Um, But it's true because the more you identify as the doer and as it's all me and also identifying with the results are all on me, you're going to you're setting yourself up for more suffering. Yeah. And so uh, we're bringing it back to the story. It says Arjuna was therefore advised by the Lord to fight as a matter of duty without attachment to the results, right? So like, why is this even being brought up? Because we're still talking, Krishna's still talking. We're still in a battlefield. We're still in a battlefield and we're still talking about like, we got to do our duty 
and not feel like the results is what matters, right? Yes. So, right. Because he's kind of saying his non-participation in the battle would also be another side of attachment because he's basically saying, I would be happier if I don't have to do my duty and don't have to go up against my family. So they're saying basically attachment, good or bad, never leads one to the path of salvation. So basically anything positive or negative just bonds you further, like those golden shackles. Yeah. Arjuna was therefore advised by the Lord to fight as a matter of duty without attachment to the result. And that's the only auspicious path of salvation for Arjuna. All right. Anything else? 48. Beautiful. All right. Text 48, perform your duty equipoised, O Arjuna, abandoning all attachment to success or failure. Such equanimity is called yoga. Hmm. So we had already defined equipoise the other day as like being very balanced, yes. very grounded. Not what too is happy, not too sad. Right, right. And what is then equanimity when they say such equanimity is called yoga? And they also, they also, before we get to equanimity, mm. they, uh, there actually is a definition for yoga in here. Yoga <laughs> means to concentrate the mind upon the supreme by controlling the ever-disturbing senses. Yeah. Controlling the mind. That's so interesting. I feel like there's so many definitions of yoga, but I think it's like within the context. You know, like there's many words that have different contexts depending on how you put them. Right. But the, the ultimate idea is it, it helps... Concentrate the mind, yeah. it helps connect. Connecting to God. Yeah. Connecting yeah. To Talking about the mind, equanimity, I looked it up to just give an even more spot on. It says mental calmness, composure, and evenness of temper, especially in a difficult situation. Repeat those, repeat those words. I need them in my life right okay, now. Okay, okay. <laughs> let's, let's, let's just breathe this definition what, what into us. What is equanimity? Equanimity <laughs> is yoga. So equanimity means mental calmness, composure okay. and evenness of temper the opposite of me and we're all like ah, ah. i know hallelujah yeah. those are the three equanimity is like equipoise but in action right oh, i like that okay yeah. i like that and especially in a difficult situation it says so arjuna's trying to be equipoised in the most difficult of difficult situations on a battlefield where he's spiraling into an existential crisis up against his family oh my gosh yeah there's one line here that i thought was really cool it says gain or victory are Krishna's concern. Mm-hmm. Arjuna is simply advised to act according to the dictation of Krishna. Right. So it's kind of like, listen, I'm taking all the blame for you. Just do it. Just do it. And that <laughs> takes a lot of trust or back to that leap of faith because we have to trust that Krishna knows what is best for everyone. And yes. if we don't trust that, they kind of had talked about that unflinching faith because if we don't have that faith, we're going to just, it's going to be hard to carry out. That. Yeah. I mean, if, if my friend told me, listen, <laughs> eat all you want. I will be the the one to gain all the weight. I'd be like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also like there would be hesitation, right? Because it'd be like, well, is it really going to work? Is it true? Is it I don't true? Know. Can I trust that you know what you're saying? And then you end up with diabetes and exactly. you're like, I thought you were going to take it on. Because <laughs> right. you're not Krishna and like you can't do that. Exactly. Damn. You know, well, and, this notion of detachment is actually really, really important, right? Abandoning all attachment. So what is the opposite of attachment, right? It's detachment. And a lot of times people think it's like, okay, then I'm giving up everything. Like I'm not, I'm going to be apathetic to the situation. Mm. Detachment is not apathy, right? Ooh. Detachment is you're still caring. You're still right. trying, right? But I think detachment is the ability to not worry about the things that are out of your control. Exactly. Not worry about the rewards, right? Exactly. Mm. And what well they said. say... 
yoga in practices, the following of Krishna's dictation or of his will is real yoga. And this is practiced in the process called Krishna consciousness. And then they go further to say, okay, one might say, how do I give up a sense of proprietorship? I'm the one that's doing the actions. So isn't it me that's getting the results, good or bad? It's me. But it says it's only by Krishna consciousness or this process that we're practicing, one can give up the sense of proprietorship to become kind of the servant of the Lord. Right. And actually goes a step further and say, or the servant of the servant of the Lord. That's utmost humility, kind of like Abhijit had said. Yeah. It took so much for me to get here. I'm going to become the servant of the servants of the Lord. What a beautiful, humble, grateful attitude. And why, why is that the way to go about it? It's because when you're learning about Krishna and becoming Krishna consciousness, or even serving the servant of the servant of the servant, you're developing humility, yeah. you're developing compassion, you're H-word. understanding gratitude, you're understanding where things come from. Like Abhijit said, right? You didn't make that, uh, the apple pie because you didn't really make the apple You didn't itself. grow the apple, you, you didn't, didn't grow, grow the, the tree. Yep. The Krishna consciousness brings awareness into our position and Krishna's position. You know, what's interesting. There's so many like mindfulness classes that take Krishna out of the equation. There are more, a little more, um, impersonal, as we had said, and mm. they even tried to cultivate the the mindful eating, quote unquote. So as you're chewing the bites, imagine where this food came from, where the crops were grown, who mm. picked it, la, da, 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 da. Now, that's a little difficult also when you're just trying to be mindful about processes. But when you're trying to be Krishna conscious, you're trying to be mindful about a being who's so lovable. And it just, through that love, everything falls into place. Oh, that makes me smile. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Shavali. Text All right. 49. Text 49. Oh, Dananjaya, keep all abominable activities far distant by devotional service. And in that consciousness, surrender unto the Lord. Those who want to enjoy the fruits of their work are misers. Boom. Bam. Okay. Boom, sure. bam, bam. Boom, bam. Boom, 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 boom. Um... I looked up the word miser. Uh, yeah, yeah I don't know what miser means. <laughs> yeah, for those, well, actually, I, I've uh, I've heard the word before. I've even used it before, and I think I was using it incorrectly. I thought a miser was a person that was really greedy. They're kind of like cheap, right? That's how but I it's, thought. It's, I thought it was like a like a gnome or an elf or something. Oh my <laughs> god, Shama, that's literally off the mark. Sorry, that is hilarious. What was um, it? So a miser is actually like a penny pincher. Oh, interesting. Okay. So like someone who hoards wealth and doesn't want to spend much, right? Interesting. Uh, so Krishna's saying those who want to enjoy the results of their work are penny pinchers. Oh, you know what? That makes sense in this context. <laughs> or because of wealth, right? Like who, they're hoarding wealth, but not the right kind of wealth. And they're doing it for themselves, exactly. right? It's selfish. It made me think penny pinchers, Priya, makes sense in this context because, okay, Krishna has already given us so much. We've we've been given this world, our comforts, everything. And if we want to even further just enjoy the fruits of our work all for ourselves, that's being a miser. Krishna mm-hmm. gives us everything and asks for nothing. There was a beautiful little story that uh, I think I read like a post on Instagram. A guy that was saying, an old man with a crinkly, smiley, sparkly eyes was saying that something like when when they made me pay for water, it brought tears to my eyes because I thought God has given us so much and never asked for a dime in return, mm. you know? So it's kind of like we're misers if we want to just take everything for ourselves afterwards and not give anything and back. And just enjoy well, we've been it. given yeah. so much. Yep. And it says misers do not know how to u- utilize their assets of riches, which they acquire by good fortune or by hard labor. 
So it's like the idea that you they just don't recognize the the helping hands that go along. I feel like I'm no, yeah, yeah. No, helping hands. hands. I'm sorry, just like uh, the helping hands that have made them reach that goal. Do you know what I mean? Like, right, interesting. Right. Yeah, they just think it's themselves. Yeah, they like, did all the let's, work. Let's think about. Um, I mean, I'm sure Jeff Bezos has a lot of good qualities. I'm not really going to go there, but the idea of a CEO who thinks I've created all of this. Yes. But the reality of it is, there's so many workers that work so hard to Around help the achieve clock. these yes. goals, right? And so, <laughs> right, that when they watch their boss being like, "I'm a self-made man. I'm <laughs> king of the world." But there's thousands of people working on prime well, delivery just to get something, <laughs> a package so to my house in two days. Exactly, exactly right. But exactly. It's, he's taking all of the credit for it. So yeah, so they're miserly because they really they're accumulating all this wealth but it's just material wealth and they're not really understanding beyond that right so yeah. they're not only not being grateful they don't realize that down the road is going to just entangle them more in this elevator of going up and down in life right. one life enjoying yeah they say only misers desire to enjoy the fruit of their own work just to be further entangled in material bondage because all activities they're going to bind you in the cycle of birth Death. Yeah, there's death. yeah, there's a line that I love in the purport that says, except for work in Krishna consciousness mm -hmm. or devotional activities, all activities, all other activities are abominable because they continually bind the worker to the cycle of birth and death over and over again. It's a rat race, right? It it's is. like you're you're getting more wealth and that that has karmic repercussions to it, right? And you have to be born mm -hmm. again. So as Priya had said, even if you get elevated, because I might do some great work in this life, be elevated to such a heavenly realm where I'm enjoying, enjoying, enjoying. That, that's in, still in the temporary plane. So at one point, that's going to come to an end. And the party's going to be over, so The party's exactly. going to be over. The party always comes to an end. We got to get past all this, past the good and past the bad. Yeah, so like if you go back to the text itself, keep all abominable activities far distance by devotional service. So what they're saying is devotional service helps you not get into yes. that mindset. Yes. Not be miserly, not be stuck in the rat race of birth and death, Yeah. It's not, it's not like you're cutting off. Like it's like, it's hard to cut things off cold turkey, right. but the process of devotional service can help you. And it's a process. It's a step-by-step -step process that we're kind of discovering right now. Right. One more. One I think. more. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Text okay. 50. A man engaged in devotional service rids himself of both good and bad reactions, even in this life. Therefore, strive for yoga which is the art of all work. Wow. So, so I think it's important to clarify, like when you do good things, you are going to reap good rewards, right? When right. you do bad things, you also reap bad rewards, and right? And so devotional service is kind of like, gets, like rid of gets rid of both good and bad karma. Why would we want to get rid of the good one? Because once you get rid of both good and bad karma, you can end this cycle of birth and that's death. Right. And that's been yes. happening since time immemorial, yeah. they say, from as far back as we can remember. And it's what in these instructions of the Gita that teach us how to surrender to Krishna in all respects, how to become liberated from the chains of victimization of action, reaction, birth, death, good, bad. So that's why Arjuna is advised to act in Krishna consciousness. So devotional service is kind of like, it kind of is like an eraser for good karma <laughs> and bad karma. Yeah, you don't want to yeah. have any karma at all. I yes. know most people live their lives and they're like, I'm going to do good things so that I can get good rewards. We don't really want that, honestly. And we'll learn that more as we go on and so yeah. the process of Krishna consciousness first we can stop we can start by doing good things that's the first process that's right? great and that builds up our good karma bank account right exactly. our karma bank account right? right and then at some point we just diminish the bad 
karma as much as possible. And at some point we'll get rid of all the good karma too. And then we'll be done. But, but, but the essentially for liberation, our karma bank account has to be at zero. Right. Yeah. Because if I do a bunch of good actions, good actions, but not make it spiritual or connected to Krishna, then I'm still going to have to take another birth to reap yeah. the results of my good karma. So what that means is like you're born in a rich family, right? And you might not encounter Krishna again. So what you're doing is you're born into a rich family. You have everything you could possibly have. You have food, shelter, everything in excess, right? Yeah. And then you start doing negative things that create bad karma. Bah, bah, bah. Bam, bam, you're stuck in the cycle so, again. Yes. Imagine modern day celebrities who are totally disconnected. There's many who might be spiritual, but imagine one who's totally not spiritual and just suffering, suffering, suffering. They might've become a celebrity in this life because they're reaping their good karma they results. So they have to things. come in, but yeah. they're still miserable. Yeah. So the whole point of this first is that we need to engage in Krishna conscious activities or devotional service so that we can get on that good car, that, that, that bank Not account the good becomes, karma. Oh, the, the bank good, account becomes zero. The right? good exactly. bank account, yeah. right. Sure, sure, sure. Well, when did we ever <laughs> thought that zero was the goal? I know, who knew? And see, and see that's, that's like the whole goal of life is like, we think that like we have to do this or we have to do that, but it's actually... In order to get out of this, the rat race or the circle of birth and death, getting our account to zero is worth what we got to do. Zero with regards to karma. Now we want all the good brownie points with regards to mercy. We want all the love, and devotional all the mercy, service, devotion. Yeah. But yes. and we'll get to that in the next couple of chapters. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. Tune in next time. Bye. Bye. beautiful souls if you like what you're hearing please follow us on instagram at modern yogi podcast and if you love what you're hearing please make sure to share a link to our podcast at modern yogi podcast with all your friends families and long lost cousins and if you have any questions at all send us a dm on instagram at modern yogi podcast and we'll be sure to get back to you thank you for listening to the, the modern, modern yogi, yogi.